from Surah An-Nabah, <coughs> the awesome, great, magnificent news, we learned some of the key themes that <coughs> keep coming in each and every more or less chapter of this whole Jews, or you can say, in all of early Meccan revelations. In Surah An-Nazi'at, <coughs> we also had the theme of Judgment Day, or the theme of resurrection, but from a different angle, that of pride, human pride, and the example or parable, parable of Pharaoh, Pharaoh was mentioned, and his fall, and the fall of his man. Then we had Surah Abasa yesterday, where we had a very strong lesson of self-purification, and a strong reminder teaching us some kind of, we can call it loftier adab, etiquette, higher degree of manners, which is the adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> so we Muslims know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is observing us at all time. So whenever we interact with other fellow human beings, we have that in our mind. And the Holy Quran is such a beautiful, miraculous, powerful gift, tool from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that more we read from this holy book and more we study it and the more we understand its content, its verses, we will gain better and better manners, more and more adab. That's how it works, okay? And... <clears throat> We said the Prophet wasn't exempt. He was going through the same process. But with him, of course, he absorbed all the manners and the teachings of the Holy Quran to the point where his khuluq adab became like a walking Quran on the face of this earth. And as the Quran was being sent down, he would take each and every time a new lesson, a new thing, so that he became what we say, al-ihsan, Al-Kamil, like he perfected his manners. So the Prophet is the example of a human being who perfected his manners through the teachings of the Quran, you can say. <coughs> we also try to emulate that example. We want to achieve something like it. In Surah at takwir at the beginning of this Surah, we have uh, like a few chapters in the Quran which begins with this kind of statement. For us, I would say average people, <coughs> not <coughs> necessarily strictly scientists or cosmologists or astronomers or people who study basically different planets, objects in the universe, in the space, we can't fully reach and understand why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention such things, powerful language. But for someone who is a film producer, for example, or someone who knows how those bodies correlate, work together, and how things can easily become also fragile, even though they look vast, vast, huge, and uh, powerful and mighty, they can also crash. They can, they, they can cease to exist, like, finish, <laughs> expiry date, nothing. So, for those people, yeah, 
they will be very careful about the actual description, the wording in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the happenings of the last day. And this surah, arguably, at takwir is the most uh, figurative in that sense, like, is the, the strongest. You know, like if you are watching a movie, if you start imagining, oh no, well, but that's scary. So I understood myself that the whole point really is not to fully understand what each and every uh, object will do or will happen to it when the last day comes and how is it all going to unfold. The main point really for us is to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almighty and all-powerful. He is in charge of everything. Everything is subjected to him and it's all part of his creation. And he has the right, he's the owner of everything, therefore he has the right to crush the sun, to do whatever he likes with any object that he created, including us, the whole of human species, like human race, and everything else. So, in a way, we are basically supposed to grow in humility based on this uh, description, and increase in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, this surah was one of the very first surahs to be revealed, Surah At-Takwir, which could be translated as the folding up. The folding up, well, At-Takwir. Either Shamsu Kuwirat. Well, what is that? And it's surah number 81 of the whole book. When the sun is folded up, like I said, I really don't have much knowledge of this science. It's a huge science, as I understand. But recently, it just happens to be, I'm not, I don't follow this regularly. But I read one article recently where uh, the scientist provided us with uh, yet the most recent and never seen before images of the sun. Like they yet got the closest they can with some equipment, special cameras. And they took shots of the sun. This is, I saw it. I don't really follow NASA and all that. Really, I'm not interested 100%. But sometimes I bump into articles and I read them out of curiosity, really. And when I saw that image, which is the most detailed so far that we have, and since the beginning of mankind, probably no one has seen the sun from a closer range or in a better or higher resolution picture. Well, it was like, I'm just telling you, it's like, volcanoes, is like imagine these columns, pillars, there were like circles in there and from each circle there's like, like a hole and there's blazing fire coming out. And then there was one on that particular image, stream, like a volcano stream of lava, stream of the blaze, uh, the fire, that is like almost as a huge mountain cutting off the planet, like getting loose, going like if the wind or some power, whatever it is, the explosion is sending it away. That was like an awesome, like an amazing image, but really you would say like, that must be so powerful. And it's huge as we understand. So look, the Quran says, when the sun is folded up. So in a way, all the power, if you, call, if you talk it about sun as some power or energy, it will all be folded up. Okay? And when the stars fall, and when the mountains vanish, vanish. It's like not, okay, you can demolish a building, 
and you can nowadays build through a mountain like a tunnel yeah you dig and with the explosives as you know they break through a mountain and build a motorway highway but here like with al-jibal suyarat vanish and when the pregnant camel ready to deliver their young are left abandoned okay we don't understand this so much uh, but in Arabia at that time this was of course very important and relevant because a baby she camel yeah, like a camel is coming it's like in today's time okay you had uh, worked very hard for years and you saved up now you're ready to buy a new car <laughs> maybe even more than that oh you're going to have another house a flat somewhere else that's how precious it was so when it grew it was like thousands of pounds so who is going to abandon something which is you know, a valuable asset to them? Only when there is extreme fear around. And when the wild animals are herded together. The wild animals we usually know don't get along. How come they are all herded together? <laughs> what is going on? And when the oceans are on fire. Okay, we have two things obviously in this surah, Wayd al-Biharu, Sujirat. But we also have in the next surah we're going to read Fujirat. But here it says, according to some interpretations, water on fire? How is that going to work? Imagine that piece of sun falling on the oceans. Yeah, it can easily be on fire, but I don't know what is going to happen. This one is important, when the souls are reunited. Okay. And when the baby girl who was buried alive is asked for what crime she was killed, and when the scrolls are spread open, and when the sky is torn off, and when hell is set to blaze, and when the garden is brought near, then every soul will know what it has prepared for itself. So I shall to witness the planets that recede and rise and set, and the night as it darkness. Darkens, sorry. And the dawn as it breathes away the darkness. That this is truly the word of a noble messenger. And here, obviously, most scholars will almost agree unanimously is Jibril, yeah? the angel Jibril, who brings the revelation down. He is powerful, Jibril, and has a place of honor with the Lord of the throne, Allah. He is obeyed and trustworthy. And your companion is not crazy. Here is the reference to the Prophet Muhammad. He saw him without any doubt on the clear horizon. Him, of course, there is more than one interpretation. I actually lean towards the interpretation that he saw Sayyidina Jibreel in his actual form. He saw the angel Gabriel uh, without a doubt on the clear horizon. And he covered the whole horizon according to one tradition. And he's not hiding anything of the unseen that was shown to him, to him that Allah taught him. <coughs> and this is not the speech of a cursed devil. Where then, where then are you going? This is the lesson of this surah. So you see how Allah begins talking about what's going to happen towards the end of the time. And then telling us something amazing that happened to the Prophet ﷺ. And pointing out the function of this noble and powerfully, powerful angel, Jibril, Sayyidina Jibril, who is the main angel. But then refuting what the people of Mecca who disbelieved said. Muhammad doesn't understand what he's talking about. Who's going to fold up the sun? How come the, the stars will crash down? What is he talking about mountains vanishing? 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, yes, that deal is going to happen. He's not crazy. This is a revelation that has been revealed to him and he can see some of the unseen that you can't see. Or he knows some of the future events that will unfold, that will happen. So it's just a warning for you. And the real message is, فَأَيْنَ تَذْهَبُونَ So where are you heading to? Where are you going? Are you going to take the admonition from this? Learn? Or are you going to go your own way and keep denying? things that have been told to you. This is no less than a reminder to all creation, lil alameen. To those of you who would like to walk straight on the straight path, and you will not unless Allah wills so, who is the Lord of the world. So I really, I mean, I didn't necessarily intend to read the translation, but the way uh, I was explaining, it really led me to read it for you. And I'm happy I read the translation. I'll tell you two things. One is so that you can see the beauty of this composition. Because these early Meccan surahs also, although they talk about things we can't fully understand, and talking about the future events, and mainly describing the happenings of the last day, there is so much beauty in its language. Okay, it's actually a very beautiful poetic surah in a way. But the second point is, I just want you to read and hear yourselves how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to us. This is a reminder to mankind. Di directly he's like relating to all of these events and then asking you a question. Or very obvious or an important question. So where are you heading to? That is the question. So this is one of the earliest surah to be revealed. Some scholars say it was surah number six or seven in the order of revelations. The first section as we read <clears throat> uses very powerful language indeed and imagery, yeah, images. To draw people's attention, people's attention to the coming resurrection and to the final judgment day. So if the language or the imagery wasn't this powerful, we might not pay so much attention to it. But when something is described in such a way, we say, wow, that must be something awesome, magnificent, great, huge. So then we pay attention to it, but for a believer, it's not just paying attention to that, or oh, how amazing and extraordinary it is. No, to prepare for it, to get ready for it, right? These verses speak of a time when the world, as we know it, will be completely changed according to Allah's divine plan and purpose. Now, you can't argue, can't question Allah. Is there a point in doing that? Creating everything like this and it's in a perfect harmony and order now and then crushing it all up? Yeah? Destroying it? You can't question. But Allah has a plan which is higher than what you and I can reach. The last section defends the revelation against the claims of the non-believers who either, as we said even last time we had another claim, who either accused the Prophet Muhammad of being a poet that's why I said this language is very strong, poetic. Or a spiritualist who is in communication with jinn, possessed basically. Or they thought that he became crazy, majnoon. Of course, none of their accusations could be taken seriously. The non-believers simply didn't know what else to say about the Quran because they had never heard anything like it before. It's like... <clears throat> its language, its beauty, its majesty, 
<coughs> miraculousness bewitched them. They just didn't know how to respond, how to reply to it. So they started making those silly, stupid claims. Although many surahs of the Qur'an have a certain rhyme and rhythm, the Qur'an is still not poetry. It's not poetry. Muhammad sallallahu was never known to compose poetry before he received the first revelation of Qur'an. And most poems written by Arabs in that time were all about, listen to this, love and warfare. Those were the key two themes. In fact, we don't even have much of the pre-Islamic Arabian poetry preserved to know too much about it. It was basically mainly not even written, it was oral, verbal. But the couplets or the, the pieces that have been preserved, memorized and passed on and recorded down now, we have like a book. I read one book. It's not bad. It's quite a decent book. I like some of the poem, you know, poetry there. I like the poets as well. But honestly, when you analyze it, okay, you can add the topic of generosity, maybe, you know, Karan, Jude, uh, taking care of weak, it's a few other subsections, but it's really all about love. A poet is crazy about a girl, and he writes. That's how he begins. He's interested in a tribe, not because the tribe is big or anything or powerful, because he fell in love with a girl from that tribe. Or two tribes are at odds. There's a war going on. So they start basically saying things to speak well of their own tribe's man and how heroic they are, and in the last encounter they had, how so-and-so defeated so-and-so and smashed so-and-so and this and that. So it's all about heroism and things like that. Who is the hero? Yeah? And then girls will be after that person. That's it, really. So all the poetry that I know of, of free Islamic times, is about love or warfare. No simple poet would have dared to attack the Mecca way of life by speaking out against idol worshipping or other established practices, such as what the surah mentions. And this is a bit difficult to hear for our ears, but it's true. It was one of their customs, which is ugly, awkward. Their practice of killing of innocent baby girls, burying them alive. So the Quran really, like in a strong way, you know, hit them back in their face with it. That very girl is going to ask, why was I buried alive for no crime, for no reason? How dare you do such a thing? So this is how slowly the Quran pointed out to some of the you know, evil practices they had and tried to rectify it, correcting it. Like we said, they are, they, they are supposed to become well-mannered, good, willing people, not hurting anyone, not causing pain, and the Qur'an basically came to help them with that. So alhamdulillah, this practice has been eradicated. On the other hand, the words and messages of people in communication with the spirit, yeah, like jinn, the spirit world, they are usually very secretive and very like nonsensical, unclear, like magicians, soothsayers. They always like, they, uh, they say things which nobody else can understand. It's as if all is, you know, coded. <clears throat> you need to decode it and again, it doesn't make sense. 
and it's just pure predictions and this and that, but there is no reality in it, there is no truth in it, and it's too secretive. You need something more obvious and blatant. So, such people were known that there was some magic there and soothsayers, and there were people who were possessed. <coughs> but they never could look like what was happening to the Prophet ﷺ. So he was uh, tried to compare him to a possessed person in desperation because he didn't know what else to do. He's not a poet. He's not known to produce any poetry. And this book is like really amazing in its composition. We can't produce anything like it, but yet it doesn't really sound like Antara's poetry or something like that. Yeah, or Imrul Qais, or any, anyone else from that time. Such people ordinarily deal with personal or trivial details of life. But the Quran, look, they will always talk about other people, about uh, tents, camels, uh, water, something like that. Trees, if they saw some oasis. They'll talk about those things. Trivial. They are not so significant. They will never think of big things like Maybe somebody will mention sun and moon when it's very clear and they try to say like a girl is as beautiful as a, a full moon, something like that. But they will not ever speak of sun, like when the sun is folded up, <laughs> when the, the stars fall down, <laughs> the, the mountains vanish, things like that. They will not even ever imagine that, think of it. But the Quran is a clear and open message to all humanity. It's come with something it's actually forcing us to ponder over bigger things, to think deeper, much deeper. And lastly, no one possessed by a devil or jinn could be expected to have good character. Yeah, the good character and noble traits and qualities which were well known of the Prophet distinguished the Prophet in a way from other people in Mecca. Like he excelled even in his manners above other people who were also noble. Yeah, Ashabul Muru'a. He was like even above them in degree. And even before Islam, but after Islam even more so, with every revelation he became better and better. So a man inspired by a devil would not wish to change people from worshipping idols because idol, idol worshipping is actually an instruction from devils in a way. And all the bad which is taking place on the face of this earth, well, it's, let's say... Uh, wrong worship, yeah? It is like worshipping jinn, really, evil spirits. All the wrong kind of uh, worship, ibadah, is on the instruction of shaitan and jinn, maradatul uh, jinn. So, of course, uh, these revelations, this message, like this surah, is asking them to abandon worshipping idols and to only worship one true God how can it be then the jinn is behind the whole project <laughs> it doesn't make any sense the jinn will still want us all to worship idols and be pagans and this and that or shaitan so it doesn't make sense so the Quran says the opposite do not follow the way yeah, the evil ways of shaitan so the Quran came with the opposite message to what they were trying to accuse the Prophet The Quran came and said, do not follow the evil ways of shaitan or his whisperings. He's an obvious enemy to you. Be on the straight path. Worship 
only one true God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, instead of bad ways that were known to them in Mecca and the surrounding areas, this message came. The Prophet Muhammad came strongly telling them to stop doing that and to start worshipping the only one true God. To them, that was not acceptable for, for several reasons. The biggest reason is probably wealth and status, fame. So people who crafted idols, people who sold them, people who uh, cheated other people and charged them good money because they, 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 they believed like they can foresee future or they could do certain spells on them like magicians and soothsayers. That was a business, a huge industry, trade. So now this message comes and says, they know nothing of the unseen or the future. They're just cheating you, deceiving you. Don't stop giving them your sacrificial animals or money or wealth or anything. Don't give them anything. They don't deserve anything. They're actually cheating you. Instead, <coughs> worship only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because there is no good in anything other than that. Okay? Everything else is like uh, <coughs> a game <clears throat> a deceitful plan by shaitan which is the source of evil okay instead abandon that shun it and go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is where the good the goodness lies so say yeah the Quran says yeah no don't worship idols the Quran says this is not what you imagine it is a clear warning and a reminder from a merciful God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this surah, uh, just to summarize it again, uh, to me is really interesting. It's a relatively short chapter. It's just one page long, really. It is one of the very, very earliest revelations, as we said, number six or seven in the order, chronological order. It uses some absolutely amazing language, but at the same time, it's beautiful. It rhymes. There's a rhythm. وَالصُّبْحِ إِذَا تَنَفَّسِ I mean, it's just unbelievable. You know, like the dawn breaking in and breathing in. The dawn is breathing. It's just like, and the sound of it, like the echo and all that, it's like unbelievable. Uh, <clears throat> and the things that are mentioned in here, an average Arabian man of that time wouldn't really mention all those things. The scrolls, they don't know much about that. Almost anything. <clears throat> the souls are united. Yeah. Uh, that to me is a capturing like sentence. And so is So where are you heading to? Do you really still want to do your own ways which you are not sure about? It's actually ignorance, uh, darkness, misguidance and selfishness and evil. Or you want to turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and follow his guidance and live your life according to that. And that is where the, the good the, the good and the blessings are, the barakah, yeah? uh, and the hidayah and the tawfiq. So in a way, I would say maybe after this kind of uh, revelation, many of the people around the Prophet ﷺ would understand this was in their own language. Uh, they would basically question themselves very carefully and honestly. What am I doing? Have a very deep self-reflection, yeah? And in a way, 
well, they couldn't help themselves but to inquire more and find out more and more about the Quran, the next, anticipate the next revelations and follow the Prophet and his circles and hear more and more and more until Iman really penetrated into their hearts and they followed Islam. So in a way, this surah is like uh, uh, seducing us towards the truth, which is good because that's, uh, like I said, what the Quran can do to us. It's like very mighty and powerful and like a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. Uh, it's like uh, pulling you towards the good. If you read it, if you listen to it, if you study it, it's always going to pull you towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that can do you only good. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us uh, have a regular self-reflection uh, moments so that every now and then we do check where are we heading to? Are we on the right path? Are we doing the right things? Or perhaps not? And then rectify our own behaviors and routines and, and, and manners and whatever we do, our ways, okay? So that we say and do only that which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we follow the footsteps of his messenger, final prophet and messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because that is the road, the path to the salvation. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم سبحانك اللهم استغفرك وتوب إليك وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وسندنا ومولانا محمد محمد عبده وحبيبه ورسوله بارك الله فيكم وجزاكم الله خير وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتحة